0: PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.
1: Hey, wrestling fans. This is Gary Michael Capetta, and you're listening to the all-night-long wrestling podcast with The Enforcer and The Stallion.
0: hello everybody and welcome back to another edition of the all night long wrestling podcast we are your hosts he is a very defeated stallion i'm the enforcer we are back with yet another edition hot off the heels of uh, of a couple of good shows this one however it's probably gonna suck just giving you a heads up
1: oh you meant our shows were good is that what you meant yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I, no one's ever said that before, so I, didn't, I wasn't used to hearing that. That's good. Okay. That's
0: bullshit. Oh, wait. Can, is it okay?
1: Too late. Can we're cry. doing it. We're all in.
0: Yeah, that's bullshit because uh, Todd Amy on YouTube <laughs> oh, said, Amy. outstanding interview with a couple of <laughs> <laughs> emojis. So, Todd, we appreciate you, man. Um, last week, you posted an interview with Heather Monroe, the killer bae. Um, the West Coastener herself, um, we had a really good time talking to her. She was awesome. Took some time out of her day to join the all-night-long wrestling podcast. And she's got some badass shirts over on Pro Wrestling Tees and a Patreon, Joe. How long is it going to take me to talk you into getting a Patreon for yourself?
1: Uh, not very long. Uh, I will say that I did post the links to both the Pro Wrestling Tee store and the uh, Patreon. In the comment section, not comment section, in the description of the YouTube video. So if you go to our YouTube video interview with Heather Monroe, in the description, you will see the links as I see you're doing it right now because I could hear it in the background. That you will see the links. Nope, to no, 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 that's not true. Sure. I was the watching porn. And that's okay. I keep telling you it's YouTube. YouTube, not something else. Oh,
0: YouTube. gotcha. No, but you're right. ProWrestlingTees.com/slash Heather Monroe, Patreon.com/slash Heather Monroe, and we put up her shirts on um, on uh, Twitter too. So hopefully that gets some traction. She's got some really cool stuff over there. And Joseph Samuel was a big fan of the shirt, so it was uh, it was a pretty cool week last week. I think everybody's coming to terms with the fact that uh, 2020 is canceled cancel culture has struck in 2020 so we are now welcoming things uh from our house we are not going out and we are social media-ing much more than ever before which is kind of how this show well i should say this topic this week it came about friend of the show um so cal wrestling pundit i learned that word rich bagu was like, you guys should do a show on trilogies. And I was like, I've got nothing to do, so let's watch trilogies. So this week's show is dedicated to uh, what some say are the greatest three matches ever, ever in professional wrestling history. The Ric Flair, Dick Blood, a.k.a. Rick Steamboat, trilogy from 1989 um rick flair and ricky steamboat themselves would say some of their best matches were in the late 70s they were not televised they were from some house shows but we are going to play the hand we're dealt and the hand that we are dealt man it was three it was a wrestling clinic joe and a lot of these Uh, podcasts use people's star ratings to talk about the show. We are going to give our own. But as far as professional star ratings, Joe, who are we going by?
1: I have uh, in front of me the star ratings of one Scott Keith, friend of the podcast, Scott Keith. Um, I went back and looked at all of his His reviews of these three matches, and I have noted down his star ratings for each one. So as we go talk a little bit about each match, I will also give the Scott Keith star rating in addition to our own opinions.
0: Sounds good. Um, how recently did you watch these? Let me ask you that.
1: I watched all three of these matches within the last two weeks um, to get them fresh fresh on the brain, obviously, for this discussion. So I watched all three in in succession um, in, obviously, time order. So we started with shytown town Rumble, then Clash 6, followed by WrestleWar 89. Um, And I watched them in order – and sometime in the last two weeks. And then I made a little uh, cheat sheet here for myself of some notes and facts about each show so we can kind of discuss that as well.
0: I did the same thing as I was watching them. I took some notes on my phone. Um, I watched it about – I guess it was about three weeks ago when we first talked about it. And then we just had uh, interview, you know, back-to-back-to-back interviews. So probably the first time ever in the podcast's uh, existence – Three in a row, which was really cool. So I had to go back and start rewatching. I rewatched the first one again just about two hours ago. So that one is uh, that one was the one I watched originally. So I wanted to freshen up on it. So uh, without further ado, man, let's get into it. The Rick Flair Rick Steamboat Uno. Well, I guess in the NWA WCW Uno. So Shy Town Rumble, uh, February twentieth, nineteen. 19- Eighty-nine. Joe, give us a little bit of a backstory as to what these guys were doing going into this match.
1: Uh, well, Ric Flair was in his fifth reign as World Heavyweight Champion. So I know at these days he's at the 16-time World Champion. He was in his fifth reign at this point, and uh, Steamboat had come back into the promotion for the NWA uh, not long before this, or right around this time. Uh, he was in the WWF in 1988, um, left there, and came back into the NWA. Ric Flair was the booker, I believe, of, at, of WCW NWA at this point in time. So he was the champion, and he was, uh, of course, as you noted, a big, a big fan of Ricky Steamboat and the matches that they had. So uh, they went off and had this first match in the series at Chi-Town Rumble in Chicago at the UIC Pavilion on uh in february of 1989 as you mentioned
0: the leading up to the match uh murky steamboat as soon as it came back into motion he was pretty much the number one contender right away um it was built very it, it the lead up to this uh was great because rick steamboat was the everyman the family man his wife bonnie and his son little ricky were very prominent in a lot of the promos, especially in the ring. Ric Flair, the opposite of everything Rick Steamboat stood for. He was kiss-stealing, and dealing jet-flying, limousine-riding, yada, 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 yada. You know the drill. So these two were natural uh, polar opposites. And I think that um, was never more so apparent than the interview they did I guess it was Clash of the Champions the interview, or was it Um, WCW Saturday night when they, I mean, Ricky Steamboat like stripped Flair down to his boxers or something in the ring when uh, Flair had the girls in the ring holding his jacket and stuff like that. So they had, um, they had a really good story going into it. And 1989 was a fantastic year for the NWA, probably one of my favorites. And, um, well, let's get right into it. Let's get right into the first match. Talk about what you took away from it, your thoughts. And uh, as always... I want your star ratings, buddy.
1: Well, I guess, you know, so at the time when I was, I was seven years old or five, six or seven years old at this point. So I didn't really know a whole lot you know, about the NWA at that time. So I, most of what I've learned has been, you know, post post that, right? And just in reading things and and watching on the network. Um, I, uh, I was surprised when I went back to watch it to see that Hiro Matsuda was in Ric Flair's corner because I just didn't really feel like that was necessary and I didn't really remember it um in a period of time either so that was interesting um you know i think that um you know again knowing it now and how it all turned out it doesn't surprise me that you know steamboat won the match but you know i think going into it if i was watching at the time and not knowing anything i would have been surprised that that steamboat had just come back in and would win the title um right away um I, I, the match was, was very good, of course. Um, we'll get into it in terms of comparing it to the other matches, probably towards you know, when we get to the third match. But um, you know, I think the first thing that stands out in, in, ter- in these matches is the chops. Uh, the chops are pretty loud, and it uh, seemed like they're laying them in pretty good. Uh, Having never given or taken a chop myself, I can only go based off the sound, and uh, it sounded pretty loud. So I'm imagining that was. That was pretty uh, un- unfun, not fun for these guys to have to take. But the match itself was very good. Of course, these guys had worked together. They are very familiar with each other's styles. Um, Steamboat won the match at the end. There was some, not shenanigans, but there was some stuff going on with the referees. I think uh, Larry, was it Larry Young? Larry Young? Um, and, Tommy Young. Uh, Tommy Young, excuse me. Tommy Young and Teddy Long, yes, um, who were the referees. In this, at the end, so they were maybe teasing a potential dusty finish of the title, but title change, but that was not the case. And uh, Steamboat ended up winning via a small package at about twenty, a little over twenty-three minutes.
0: Uh, just so people aren't familiar with what a uh, dusty finish is, uh, Tommy Young is notorious at Starcade '85. Dusty Rhodes beat Ric Flair, I believe it was with a cradle. Tommy Young had gotten bumped during the match. Tommy Young was on the outside. Arn Anderson came in to help Ric Flair to beat up Dusty Rhodes. As Tommy Young was going to call for the bell because he saw Arn Anderson interfere, he got hit by a flying Arn Anderson, never got to call for the bell. Dusty Rhodes won the title, and then Tommy Young reversed the decision the last week because he said in his mind he had already made up the decision that it was a disqualification, thus taking the belt off of Dusty Rhodes. That is what a dusty finish is. And I think watching this, um, I had, to, I also thought that's what they were going to do the first time. Um, my favorite part of this match, without a doubt, is big-ass Afro Meltzer in the front row in the teal shirt. He was big even back then. Not like he is now, you know, with HGH and all. Um, but he is wearing the most ridiculous teal shirt i've ever seen in my life he's got the um dr d david schultz uh brown afro curls um it was a <clears throat> it was a sight to behold but that being said first thing i realized in this match um maybe you'll agree with me rick flair is in the best shape of his life would you agree
1: uh, yeah, I think he was in very good shape at the time. I mean, again, again if you, it depends on when you compare him to. I, I know you know, people, maybe newer fans, that saw him in the WWE at the end of his career, was that he was not in the best of shape at that time. Um, but yeah, I think he was in good shape at this point. I think he was probably getting close to 40. Um, 37, 38. Late, right? late 30s, close to 40 at, at this point. So yeah, I mean, he was still in great shape.
0: He he had abs and I never remember seeing Ric Flair have abs. And I'm watching I'm going through watching um World Championship Wrestling from eighty five and he's in far better shape in eighty nine than he was in eighty five. Uh, Steamboat was a monster himself too, you know, but getting too far of course here. Um like you said the chops were great and this to me was um the fastest paced match they had. Um and it almost started out like you know, it started out like a grudge match with the way they were laying it into each other. There was a lot of stuff on the outside. I also really enjoyed Magnum TA on commentary. Um, they worked the outside a lot. Like I said, it was very, um, it was, it was very smart booking. Also, um, what I liked was how Ric Flair had Steamboat in the figure four for a very long time towards the end of the match, and Flair kept reaching up to grab the ropes. Referee didn't see it. Finally, Tommy Young saw it made flair break the hold flair's cheating himself caused him to lose the match i thought it was great psychology um for me i I go five stars joe Hmm.
1: interesting yeah so i i actually thought and i guess we'll talk about it a little bit later but we i thought the third match was their best paced match of the three but uh i went uh four and three quarters on this one so (coughs) and i think it's part of that is because i'm comparing them to the others as we go along but i went four and three quarters scott keith uh, five stars went full full Monty, so
0: full five stars. Um, next up was the Flair Steamboat two two out of three falls, a clash of the champions six, the Raging Cajun. Um, they ran the New Orleans Superdome. Yeah, the Superdome WrestleMania thirty four was at the Superdome. They drew seventy eight thousand people. Clash 6 drew 5,000 people in the Superdome. That's true. Who, according to, um, I, I, according to, I think it was Shivani. No, maybe it was JR. Jim Ross said that they did not want to promote them. I think it was Jim Hurd. Jim Ross said Jim Hurd did not want to promote the match because he was afraid if people saw Steamboat and Flair on TV, they would not go to the house shows because back then it was very much a house show business. Mm-hmm. That then led to some people getting fired at WCW. Joe, 5 th- I'm pretty sure you and I could draw 5,000 people at the Superdome. Let's be honest. That's, for, for doing what? <laughs> I don't know. You should punch me in the face for an hour. 5,000 people would come to the Superdome to see that. Um, this match was much more methodical. It was a much, much, much slower pace. A um, lot of amateur wrestling in this match, uh, which is... Flair was known for being a great tactician in the ring, but the amateur wrestling in this match, I don't know if it would fly today. Do you Do you think that that could get over to the extent that they had in this match for the, for that length of time?
1: I think it I depends think- on the audience. So if I'm picturing it on... Money in the bank? Uh, no. If I'm picturing it on an AEW show or a Ring of Honor show or even New Japan, um, then, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think they could, you know, fans would stick with it for, for a while. I think that people would be into it. I mean, this match, like you said, two out of three falls, it went, in the stats that I read, it went over 55 minutes. So it was almost an hour um, of, these guys, of these guys wrestling. Um, Flair wins the first fall and reversing an inside cradle just under 20 minutes. So, if Flair gets the first fall, and now Steamboat has to win the next two. Um, I believe that the ruling, the rule was supposed to be if it went to a time limit that the winner of the first fall would be the champion. So, that meant That's I think. Sick. So that meant that Steamboat had to win the next two. So, like you said, it was a little bit more deliberately paced. Um Flair wins the first fall by pinfall or first cradle. Um, and then Steamboat wins the second fall at, I think, just about 34, 35 minutes with the double chicken wing submission, right? So he has him, like, held up. Not the cross chicken wing that Bob Backman would make famous, right? The double-arm chicken wing where he would grab him and then hold him up in the air. Yep. And then Picture submitted. for
0: anybody, uh, like a Tiger suplex, but instead of suplexing him back, he locks in the Tiger and he just holds him up straight in the air.
1: Yes. So that was the second fall. Um, and then, of course, now in the last 25 minutes or so, we're down to the deciding the deciding third fall. Um, and the cool part, I guess, it is for me at this stage is, you know, now I forget exactly at what point, but it was around here where uh, Flair starts working on the legs of Steamboat. Right. And he kind of really goes to town on doing that, which is uh, you know a big M.O. for Ric Flair and a lot of his matches to set up the figure four. Um, and. I don't want to jump into the finish if you have other thoughts if you want to comment on, but the well, I'll, let you, I'll pause there and let you kind of give your thoughts on the first two-thirds of the match.
0: Um, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Rick. I can't remember Ric Flair ever submitting. So Jim Ross was very crucial on commentary to tell the story that Ric Flair had to submit because he had another fall. So he submitted knowing he would not lose the match, but he submitted knowing he could get out of the move more quickly and still be fresh for the third fall. So I thought that that's the only thing I would throw in there. I thought that was great.
1: Yep, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so then that, that leads to the finish of the third fall, which is, so Steamboat has Flair up in the double chicken wing again, trying to get him to submit, and his knee buckles and gives out because of the leg work that Flair had been doing on him for the last 25, 30 minutes of the match. Um, he falls backwards, so he has Flair kind of over him, and both of their shoulders are down. Referee counts, and Steamboat gets one of his shoulders up and is declared the winner. Uh, The replay shows that Flair's leg was underneath the rope, I think, or on on top of or underneath the rope. It was underneath the rope, yeah. Underneath the rope, its referee did not see. So um, Steamboat was declared the winner, but after the match was over, um, in the post-match interview, they were talking with Steamboat and kind of showing him the replay, and it kind of led to setting up the third match in the series, which would happen at Wrestle War a little bit later on. Um, in terms of the match overall itself, um, I generally like two out of three fall matches a lot, especially when you have really good wrestlers in it. Um, of course, the psychology, like we mentioned, the chops, all the different moves that they were doing with on each other. Um, I gave this one four and three quarter as well, um, and I think, you know, I, I thought that the matches got better in the series as they went along. That was my opinion. So um, I went four and three-quarter stars. Scott Keith, full full five again, once again, love the match. What's your...
0: Four and three-quarter. Three. Um, yeah, I also went four and three-quarter. I liked the first one a little bit better, but I will also say Terry Funk on commentary made this match feel... Uh, as important as it possibly could be and gave you a great perspective on in-ring performer. Like, to hell, he pretty much... Terry Funk helped Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat tell the story in this match. I thought it was great. 50, 57, I think it was 57 and a half, 58 minutes. It's a long time to beat the shit out of each other and it was very, very hot in the arena. Um, I think... See, to me, it's a little... I mean, it's kind of like the Gargano and... um, i guess adam cole thing where to a oh, buster agrees um you know you would think two out of three falls would be the blow off of or the, the the third part of the trilogy unless you're gonna have like a dude what the hell was the match gargano and cole had it was like 17 stages of death with fucking i mean you had a, something was on fire and you killed somebody in the end of it like that to me that's like the major blow off for so the only t- thing I would say from this trilogy was you had regular match two out of three falls regular match although the third match did have the three judges at ringside so I guess that was the angle but you know it I, they, they could have absolutely done an Iron Man match you know I think that would have been the next logical step but I loved it for what it was and um, I think it ended the right way and uh, yeah. for the 412 people that were there, and uh, we're on to the third one. <laughs> so, oh, I should mention um, this went head to head with WrestleMania 5. So, WC the NWA counter programmed WrestleMania 5, just as Vince McMahon had done previously with Starcade and um, I think it was Bunkhouse Stampede when he created Royal Rumble and put it on free TV. So, uh, there was uh, a lot of uh, gamesmanship between the two promoters at this point.
1: Yes, you're right. So the next, the final match in the series takes place at uh, Wrestle War '89, which is in uh, May. I think May 7th, of 1989. Um, this takes place in, let's see, Nashville, Tennessee, at the Auditorium. Similar, similar crowd size on this one, a little over 5,000 fans um so this was my as you mentioned that there's three judges here it's uh terry funk pat o'connor luthes aka Luthes i believe as you like to refer to him as um i was just gonna say Luthes. Luthes uh at ringside for this to you know judge it i guess if it went to a, uh, a draw um this was my favorite match of the series and i thought that they picked up the pace in this one it was really kind of like a you know, a, a grudge match of grudge matches in the sense that i think flair knew this was his last shot um, at the title here against Steamboat. If he didn't beat him here, he probably wasn't gonna get a shot again for a while. Um, they were doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I, I remember, I keep, I always remember the spot where Flair does a crossbody against Steamboat, and then they they both tumble over the top rope to the floor. I remember it being like really wild. Um, and I, you know, it's interesting, I guess, also is that you know, going into this, as you mentioned earlier, kind of like the the opposites of Steamboat being the Family Man, right, coming out with his wife and his son often, and Flair comes out with you know forty women. Um, down the aisle,
0: he walked a pony to the <laughs> ring. For God's sake, who thought that was a good idea? Little but Ricky was on a fucking pony.
1: <laughs> but at the end of the match, right when it ends, um, which everybody knows, you know, Flair ends up winning this match, of course, and winning the title back, his sixth, his sixth world title. Um, you know, he ends up being a babyface when it's over with. You know, and I think a lot of that is because of the the quality of work and you know the the high standard of the matches that these two guys were having, right? I think people people already respected Flair, and he already had his fans out there uh, just from being in the Horseman and being who he was. Um, but, you know, just the, the work that he was putting in and the efforts in these three matches, um, you know, he ends up winning with an inside cradle after, again, Steamboat's leg collapses. He rolls into a cradle and pins him and wins his sixth world title. This one lent just over a half an hour um, based off of what I saw. And um, it was my favorite match of the series. It really was just because of the psychology, the history, the playing off previous matches, uh, the tempo. Um, I, I, this is a match that I went five stars on for me personally. And I, th- I thought it was the best of the series.
0: I actually um, I went four and three quarter the same I did the second one. I still have an affinity for the first one. I don't know why it's the shortest of them. Uh, I, I just—it's the one I've watched the most. Um, I could rewatch it whenever. Um, I'll have to give the third one a watch. I think um, to me, I feel like the finish almost overshadows the match um, to an extent. I'm sure. I don't—not overshadows, but to me, that's what I take away from it, right? Like I—we can get into that. Um, and as you mentioned, yeah, the uh, the po- sorry, the post match angle, yeah. Um, I said nineteen eighty-nine was one of my favorite years for the NWA. Um, so long story short, um, I think as soon as Flair takes the mic, you know, Flair's style and profile, and he takes the mic after the match and he says, Ricky Steamboat is the greatest champion I've ever faced. Like, boom, the place erupts, and Flair is now the most over babyface face in the company. Because, like you said, it's tough to boo a guy who's such a great wrestler, right? And he just continues to put on performance after performance. So what do you do? You turn this guy, babyface, in the ring, and then, bam, you get him into one hell of an angle with Terry Funk. Terry Funk comes out. He was um, Terry Fu- uh, drunk Terry Funk, they used to call him, in uh, the Insane Clown Posse, uh, what was that, Strangle Mania, when he wrestled McFoley? Long story short. Um, Funk wants to challenge Ric Flair, and Flair kind of brushes him off. He's like, Terry, listen, we have a ranking system now, yada, yada, yada. And Terry Funk's like, Rick, I'm sorry. You're right. I'm sorry. Boom. He'll turn, and he power drives him on a table in, 19, in May of 1989. The match was great, and then you have this hot angle. The crowd is stunned. The crowd is pissed. They could do no wrong in May of 89. And then this leads to eventually Flair... Teaming up with the hottest baby face, as they would say, sprinkling a little Hulk dust on them You're sprinkling a little Ric Flair dust on Sting. It, it was great year. I can't wait to go back and watch some more of this stuff. But um, the story they told in the ring was great. Uh, they worked over Steamboat's leg, and they had a lot of callbacks to earlier ones. And Ric Flair. If you notice, he did not cheat during this match as he did in the first and second one, and he got a clean pinfall. I think it was just so well put together, and Flair and Steamboat both tell you they called every match in the ring, dude. That's unbelievable. It's 30 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. That's two hours of calling it in the ring. I can barely remember my name, Joe. Imagine being in the ring and be like, yeah. Flair had said, he could just look at Steamboat and like move his eyes one way and they would know exactly what each other are thinking. I think you know it, it, it was just flawless in the ring and you know one of, if not the greatest trilogy of all time. So in ranking for me, I had the first match, the third match tied with the second match, but edges of that just slightly. so and you said Scott Keith gave this one five stars as well.
1: he gave him all five stars. yeah, he gave them all five all five stars. All five stars. But yeah, no, you're right. I, so for me, um, I like the third match followed, but I, I like them, they got better as I went along. So even though I gave the first two matches the same rating, I would go third match, second match, first match. Um, I know you like the first match better, but anybody who watches this, feel free to give us your take on what match you like the best and you know, of the series and of the trilogy. But I think there's really no wrong answer um, to any match if anybody likes one you know, better than the other.
0: Unless you say they suck and then your opinion means shit. Just going to be honest with you. Um... Bagu, we want to hear your opinion. Uh, now, I... You know what, no. I'll save my question until we watch our next trilogy. What should our next trilogy be, Joe? Do you want to do Rock Austin? Do you want to do Omega Okada? You tell me on the air. What are we doing?
1: <laughs> on the air? Oh, my God. I don't know, man. It's it's tough. We have to really identify like, three, the three matches. The thing with Austin and Rock is, you know, it's kind of over... Several periods of, of years, right? Like you're looking at WrestleMania 15, 17, and 19. Um, so, you know, it's a different aspect of it. We can certainly do that. Um, that might be a little easier than the Omega Okada ones because you got you to gotta put a lot of time into those matches, I feel like, if you're going to. We got to really sit down and, you know, you got to study them and they're at least like an hour each or whatever it is. So.
0: No, you know. the G1 match is 26 minutes.
1: Well, didn't they have several matches for the title in addition to the G1 match? So like there's a, there's, I feel like there's like three or four that they've had. I, I don't know. I have to go back and look. So.
0: Well, we got, we got nothing to do, right? We're, I we're think not going a,
1: anywhere. You know what? There's a good there's a good um, Hornswoggle and Chavo Guerrero series. I think that happened I years this. back. I hate everything about what you're I saying
0: right
1: now. I you hate said this. I got to choose on air. I just you just you put it in my hands. You made you gave me the choice to choose. Let's do Rock and Austin. I like uh, let's fight like the Rock Austin. I think that's a good that's a good way to to go. We'll go, you Fine. know, we'll, all we'll, right. we'll go in 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 chronological order, right? So Flair Steamboat happened in '89, you know, Rock Austin happened in the late '90s, early 2000s, and then we'll do uh, Omega and Okada for the uh, 2010s, I guess, is when that was all.
0: Let's find a, a Ring of Honor trilogy in there too. We'll get real crazy with it. We'll just do some, uh, watch some wrestling, man. That's what we're doing. Um, we want to hear your thoughts. If you've seen all three of those, and if you're a fan of professional wrestling, chances are you probably have. Rank them. That let us know what you think. How many stars do you give each match? Um, what's your favorite? Uh, I just wish we could see more Meltzer, old Daddy Meltzer. God, I'm gonna screen cap him in his uh, in his teal shirt, tightest shirt ever. He shot the baby gap before it was cool. But listen, we appreciate everybody checking us out. Don't forget, everywhere on social media, you could follow us at All Night Long WP. Check us out on lordsofpain.net. We are super stoked to be teaming up with them. We really appreciate um, their uh, influence in us and their uh, spreading the news of our podcast the all-night long wrestling podcast. Uh, Aew is going to be starting in a little bit. Um, you know we got, we got a lot of wrestling to watch man and money in the bank I think is coming up uh, what next week?
1: It's a week this from week? this coming Sunday. A week from this. It's a week
0: coming. from this Sunday. I I know you know all the matches up and down, left and right. You can't wait for money in the bank. We can talk about that next week. There's plenty for us to talk about. Don't worry about it. Professional wrestling's not going anywhere, and neither are we. So check us out, LordsOfPain.net on YouTube. That's where you can subscribe and give us a give us some thumbs up over there. The more views on there, the better. And at all night long, WP Instagram, Twitter, Friendster you you point youtube that's a youtube right that's so i'm gonna use uh youtube why are you? gotcha. I'll i'll just work on that on the uh, in the off time but for another edition of the all night long wrestling podcast we are hosts he's a stallion i'm the enforcer and we are tapping out